so much squirming and distraction. Um, and I'm not talking about the kids. So um, <laughs> uh, that's one of my uh, favorite things to do is to watch uh, how distracted we all are. Uh, what happens up here is going on out there. It's uh, it's funny. Hey, we're uh, coming to the end of Second uh, Corinthians uh, today. We're going to look at uh, chapter thirteen, verses one to four, and then uh, we'll do two more weeks in Second Corinthians. And then on August twentieth, we're going to start a new series uh, on uh, the Old Testament book of Numbers. Now, uh, <laughs> Twitter, 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 Twitter. <laughs> 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 All you people with math phobia, right? That uh, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to do that. Um, the uh, you think the name of the book is Numbers? Actually, the Hebrew name for the book of Numbers is the words God spoke in the wilderness. Yeah. So um, interesting, right? And I think a very telling and. Uh, a profound um, uh, study for the church to do uh, uh, this fall. So um, uh, I tell you that because, um, it, well, I just I knew you would react funny when I said numbers. So I just wanted to prepare you for that, so that when you come on the twentieth, you don't you're not shocked and you don't come back. But it'll be great. The Lord's uh, the Lord's just as much in the book of Numbers as He is in the book of Second Corinthians. Stunning, isn't it? How can that be? Well, we'll figure it out. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Uh, Paul is mentioning in this text his visit to uh, uh, the church in Corinth and um, uh, what he's going to do uh, with his critics and his enemies uh, when he gets there. So Second Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Now, one of the things that you have to see about that's going on in this text is one of the things that we uh, that we miss if we're not careful is um, for several of these chapters in Second Corinthians, Paul has been giving a, def- a defense because remember his reputation among the church in Corinth is, is that he writes good letters, but in person He is boring and unimpressive, that he is weak, that he is largely ineffective uh, because um, that's that's what the super apostles in in Corinth wanted. Well, Paul is going to go to Corinth now and he is going to deal with these people who have uh, uh, who've, who've talked about him now. One of the things, one of the things that he's going to answer, one of the questions that he's going to get at in this is what do you do? And you can go ahead and put my uh, uh, notes up there. How, how do you treat people who sin against you? And not just sin against you, but people who gossip about you. People who talk about you, right? 
What do you do about that? And, and what do you do about reputation, right? Because the whole issue of reputation boils down to what people say about you, right? If, if, if when, when people say, what kind of reputation do you have? It's because who's the arbiter of, of your reputation? It's other people. It's what they say about you, right? It's what, it's how they talk about you. Um, and, and, and that's a, that's a fascinating thing to kind of, kind of figure out. I, I remember early on, uh, in the life of the church, there were, there were so many people who had so many ideas about how I could do my job better that they would come periodically to tell me how I could do my job better. And what became clear over time was not just, and you know, it's good to come and tell me how to do my job better because probably won't do it better if somebody doesn't tell me, right? But, what would happen is the, the, the complaints or, or the, the things that people wanted to talk about, three or four or five people would come and talk to me about it, and they all used the same words. Exactly. Same phrases. They, they had notes, I guess. So, and so, and they even talked about the same, exactly the same things. And so one of the things I thought was e- either I am remarkably terrible, or these guys have been talking to each other to kind of share notes about how they can correct me. Now, now, what was always fascinating to me about that was, was there underlying that is the thought that people who talk to other people think that those other people don't talk. Which is kind of ironic, because by definition, if you talk, you talk. And you don't really care who you talk to, right? So, so what's happened here in this situation is words gotten back to Paul that the super apostles there in Corinth have said he's weak, uh, he's ineffective, he's boring, uh, we don't like him, and even the gospel that he preaches is is largely uh, ineffective. So Paul's going to come to Corinth now, and he's going to deal with this. Now, let, you know, let me, let's just be clear about this. You know, this this is kind of an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Right. People's opinions, people's reputations, how they talk about one another and 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 that sort of thing. And so what Paul's going to do here, he's going to confront it, but he's not going to confront it because he's been hurt and he's not going to confront it because his reputation is at stake. He's going to confront it because the gospel is at stake. And so first and foremost, what, what we have to come to grips with about this is there's there's a lot of things that happen, a lot of things that get said about us, a lot of things that, that happen is, that put us uh, in a bad light that we don't have to address. But when the gospel, the work of God in Jesus Christ on our behalf is at stake, uh, we need to be very clear and very careful about how we we address that. And so what Paul recognizes is it's not just that his, his reputation is at stake, but the reputation of Jesus is at stake. And so when he comes to Corinth, as we saw last week, he's going to mourn over the sin that those people have committed against God. But now he says not only will he mourn, not only will he grieve their sin, he's going to address it. And so he makes clear in this passage that when he finally visits the Corinthians, he'll confront their sin. Uh, The sadness, I may mourn over many of those who sinned earlier, as we talked about last week in chapter 12, will not keep him from challenging the gossip and slander he's experienced. That's why he says he used cites the Old Testament passage that that the the charges that have been leveled against him now, he's going to take them seriously. And so whatever has been said about him now has to be established by a couple of witnesses, right? So he's he's going to come. He's going to be very direct 
uh, in confronting uh, the issues that are that are going on there in Corinth. Next slide. So his confrontation with the Corinthians will manifest both the weakness of Christ and his power. Now, that's one of the things that's difficult for us, and that's one of the things about this text that makes it hard to understand because Paul is playing off in this text the issue of weakness and strength. And we tend to think that those things can't coexist with one another, but he's making it very clear to us in this text uh, that they do, right? So the Corinthians and us suppose that where there is power, no weakness may be present. And this is how the world works. One should therefore wish to gain power and rid oneself of weakness. Now, remember, we defined weakness a couple of weeks ago, not just as, you know, proclivities to sin or to lust or to chocolate chip cookies or those sorts of things. It is the effect that the broken and fallen world has upon us. It's the the fact that we live in a world where we have to suffer and where we have to struggle, right? So Paul's being very clear about this. One should therefore wish to gain power and rid oneself of weakness. This seems like the way to salvation. However, God's power in us is only present and at work within weakness. Did you hear that? God's power in us is only present and at work within our weakness. It overcomes our weakness without removing it. So Paul is not going to become somebody different. He's not suddenly going to to, uh, 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 be transformed into a person that experiences none of the effects of the fallen world. Here he is. He's an apostle. He's someone who has uh, uh, phenomenally uh, suffered for the sake of Christ and his gospel. In fact, that's his resume, his his list of suffering. But here, here what we're going to see is that he will come, he'll be direct, He'll challenge the things that have been said about the gospel and about him, but he's not going to do it from necessarily simply a position of strength. He's still Paul. He's still under the effect of a broken and fallen world, just as Jesus uh, redeemed us through the weakness of the cross, right? So what happens here is, is the work of God in us, it, uh, it, our weakness is overcome, but it's never removed. As long as you live in this world, as long as you are drawing breath, you're going to be weak. But the good news in that is that is precisely the crucible, that is precisely the place where God's power is demonstrated. So next slide. Next slide, please, Megan. So we have an addiction to power uh, and that the message of the cross and the resurrection overcomes. The super apostles uh, had a better idea had uh, better gifts uh, and were slicker and uh, um, uh, had better branding, better marketing, uh, better credentials in all of those ways. And so that that's one of the we and, and because of that, they they came off as being very powerful people, very effective people, people that were that were overwhelming. Right. Well, we have an addiction to power. We like power now. Let me let me just let me just be clear about uh, how this works itself out. Shang's already prayed for us this morning uh, that we would shed some of our addictions. Now, usually when you hear the word addiction, you think of alcohol or tobacco or drugs or or or, or pornography or something like that. Right. But for most of us and for most of the time, we have these little addictions that don't seem to be that terrible. 
like a little addiction to power. Now, now, how, how can I know that I'm addicted to power? Well, power most often manifests itself in the way we relate to one another. Um, uh, to, am I concerned to get you to want what I want? Am I, do I relate to you in such a way so that I can get you to, to, uh, to do the things that I want you to do? Not just in a, in a way that I want what's best for you, but I speak to you, I manipulate you, I don't speak to you uh, in ways so that I can get you to do what I want. Do I think of interactions in terms of leverage instead of love? Um, one of the one of the ways you can know this is before you meet with someone, before you talk to someone, is your prayer for that that I would love this person, or is your prayer? Lord, help me to get them to see things the way I see them and to do what I want them to do, right? Am I manipulative either by fake flattery? Anytime somebody says you're the best or the greatest, they're lying to you. In case you didn't know that, right? We we tend to think, you know, wow, I just when someone says you're the best or you're the greatest, you're like, yeah, bring me more of that. They're lying. You're not the best. You're not the greatest. There's always somebody better. There's always somebody skinnier. There's always somebody richer. There's always somebody better looking. There's always somebody smarter. There's, it just is, okay? So when they say you're the best, mm-mm, you're not. Don't believe it. Not that you guys over here would believe it anyway. You're, you're humble. You're the humblest people I know. <laughs> anyway. Um, so... Uh, or by sullen pouting. That's one of the ways we get people to do what we want them to do too, right? Is by harumphing, uh, that sort of thing. Um, we're, we're in, our house is really disrupted these days, like no sinks and no counters and, you know, flat surfaces are important to me because that's where I put stuff. <laughs> and, and I, you know, it's a little challenging in our house right now because we don't have any flat surfaces. I was looking for my keys yesterday and I couldn't find them because there are not, no flat surfaces for me to drop my keys. And I asked Marty, where are my keys? And she said, I hung them up on the key rack. <laughs> I'm like, well, why would you do that? Right? That seems dumb. Now I'm going to pout. So, so the fact is, uh, rather than seeking in the midst of our relationships that we're simply going to love this person, we might challenge things that are wrong. We might challenge sin. But my job here is not to create you in my image, but to ultimately see the image of Christ uh, be manifest in you. And that's, that's the issue that Paul's getting at. So how is he going to, when he finally goes to Corinth, what are some things that we can expect about how he's going to confront their sin, how he's going to talk to them? As he says here, he's not going to spare those who have said this, how he will establish things with, uh, with uh, a couple of witnesses, and how is it that he is going to have a gospel ministry in the midst of what's been a very dark and troubling time for this church? Well, you get a clue about the way Paul thinks about ministry in uh, the, the letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. In in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says this about ministry, and he says this about his relationships with the people uh, in the church. He says this, for you know, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness. So he struggled, 
He suffered. Nevertheless, he had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. No, no, uh, no uh, uh, special branding here to get you to believe the gospel. Simply straightforward talk about uh, the nature of Jesus. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Um, what, a, what a profound verse, right? Not to please man. Uh, it's so tempting to please people, isn't it? For we never came with the words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God's our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people. So hard. Because that's right down the alley of reputation, right? Whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Your witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father, he's already talked about being like a mom, now like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So what is he getting at here? Well, first of all, Paul does recognizes that even as he comes and he confronts sin uh, and he has the power to do that in Christ, he is still a man who comes with a resume of suffering, right? That's what qualifies him to be God's man is uh, that God has chosen him to suffer. That's exactly what God said about him, right? And we're weak in, in this, even when we confront other people's sin, because after all, Jesus describes our lives as carrying a cross. Nevertheless, we have a boldness because the boldness that we have comes from the fact that Jesus loves us, that he is for us, that he's given his life for us and that we belong to him. And because that is true, that sets us free to be bold, not to be brash, but to be bold and direct about the hope that resides within us. We don't have to have gimmicks. We don't have to trick people. We don't have to show people or tempt people to think that we are bigger or better than we are. Rather, what we do here is we simply proclaim the gospel. We work for God. Paul works for God. And as a result of working for God, he does not have to be caught up and undone by his reputation or what the people in the church in Corinth think about him. Next slide. He doesn't flatter people, right? He encourages them. When he sees the work of God's grace in people's lives, he said, that's great. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep seeing the work of of God in your life. But he doesn't flatter people to get them to do what he wants them to do. He's not in this for the money. He's not in it for any kind of personal gain. He has gentleness like a mother. Um, And this word for gentleness like a mother might tempt you to think that when we deal with people who sin against us, that we simply say, everything's okay. Now, my mom didn't do that. (laughs) <laughs> right? There's been a study done uh, uh, recently by uh, some sociologists in the state of Illinois on um, one of the biggest uh, housing projects in Chicago about what, uh, uh, over two generations, what was the biggest predictor of success in kids' lives. And the biggest predictor of success was 
Was there a mom or a grandmother who was interested enough in the kids to love them and to hold them accountable? And if you had that, you're going to make it. If you didn't have that, you might not make it. So this gentleness isn't just that mom tells you everything's cool. Mom, mom, mom loves you and she loves you enough to tell you stop that. Right? But also it's not just like being like a mom. It's also exhorting like a father. Now fathers, believe it or not, people, fathers do not try to make everyone angry. Now, I know for a fact that I am not doing my job as a dad if I don't hear at least once a week, Dad, come on, what are you doing? Stop that. Listen to us. Do it this way. Unless I hear that, I'm probably not doing my job, right? Um, uh, because it's not my job to make everybody happy like you, like I could do that. But... Uh, uh, But we exhort while trying not to make everyone angry, not trying to make everyone happy either. Because our, our, the sense of what we have to do and the work that Paul has to do in Corinth is he's not there to protect himself. He's not there to build his reputation. He's not there to, to, uh, make himself big in the eyes of the Corinthians. He is there to correct their misimpression of the nature of the gospel. He's there to correct the fact that what they think about Jesus is, is that Jesus comes into our lives and empowers us in a way so that we don't have to live uh, and struggle against the effects of a fallen world around us. What we want, and this, what, this is what makes a, a misinterpretation of the gospel so, so easy, is that we forget that Jesus Christ is crucified in weakness. And so what we think that does for us is when we become one with Christ, when we are united with him, suddenly the impact of the fallenness of the world no longer has any impact on us. That suddenly power becomes manifest in our lives and we just don't struggle anymore. Struggle. Struggle. But what Paul's saying is, by definition, the power of Christ is at work in us in the struggle. Um, as we are in the midst of uh, the very disorienting situation in our house, and uh, I reached a breaking point yesterday where I looked at Marty and I said, do you think we made a mistake? I feel like going out to the dump and going through all the bins out there and getting all our old cabinets and bringing them back. And, and all our old mirrors and all our old plumbing and all the old stuff that, that we've cleaned up because I, and what made me do this was one little screw and one little hinge that I couldn't get out. And it just sent me over the edge. And I'm, uh, you know, I, I have enough patience to fiddle with it and fiddle with it and fiddle with it. And then my solution is get me a hammer. Um, and so she very kindly and gently looked at me and said, things are never easy, are they? They're never easy. And if it's easy, we should distrust it. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what? If things are easy, 
we should distrust it. Well, I don't. I wouldn't go that far because occasionally God is good to make things easy for us, thankfully. But the fact is, the gospel is for people who live in a world and a body of weakness. And that's where the power of the gospel finds its stage to display its truth. So rather than spending my time and energy, spending your time and energy, trying to find ourselves in a place where there is no longer any struggle, what Paul is going to do when he goes to Corinth is display before them the grace of God manifest in suffering and struggle. That's where the display of God's power and, and we can see God's power in that and be certain that it is God's power being displayed and not Paul's power. Let's ask him to do that uh, in our lives. Lord, we, we are people who are addicted to reputation. We are addicted to what people say about us. We are addicted to uh, how we are perceived. Uh, we are addicted to our own glory. So forgive us. Help us, uh, Lord, not to be um, misled by the gospel to believe uh, that that is the, uh, that somehow or other the source of our power um, is ease, is no struggle. In fact, I pray that you would help us to trust you uh, with our reputations, trust you with how we are perceived, and ultimately, Lord, to trust you with... Um, well, just how our lives uh, play out and demonstrate uh, the power of the gospel. Lord, forgive us for um, thinking that power is what you've called us to, uh, power that we generate ourselves. Forgive us for thinking that and demanding uh, that our lives be struggle-free. And forgive us as well, Lord, for thinking that somehow or other uh, we must demonstrate that to one another. Help us. Uh, help us, we pray. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, we would trust our reputation, trust our, uh, um, our lives fully into the hands of Jesus who loves us, who died for us, who rose again for us. Lord, I pray that you would free us from the demands of uh, meeting uh, each other's standards, but rather uh, see our lives as belonging to you. So bless us today. Set us free. Uh, help us to uh, see appropriately what real power and real weakness is. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.